So I know something about you, and it's not always a good thing. And I know this about you because I know this about myself, and I think every human being certainly would be guilty. Some of you are great starters, but you are not good finishers. How many of you will agree? I know that in your lifetime as an adult, uh, you've started many things that you have abandoned, you have not finished. I mean, sometimes we find out it's just a mistake, right? We should have never started this in the first place. This is dumb. This is stupid. It's a waste of my time. It's not worthwhile. So we give up on that. Sometimes it's just kind of boring and we, it doesn't hold our attention. Sometimes we lose our drive. Sometimes we lose our discipline. Sometimes we just become distracted and lazy and it's just not worth it to us. But there are some things in life that everything that could possibly matter hangs on finishing. Tonight, we see a lot of men and women who have started with Jesus, but they do not finish with Jesus. And I want to make sure we understand Some of you have been brought up in traditions that teach error here. Um, It is not possible to be saved and then to be unsaved. This is not a biblical possibility. This is a superficial understanding of what salvation is and who's doing it. We've been talking a lot about it in the last few weeks. God saves His people. And if you're born again of God, you cannot be unborn again of God. It is simply an impossibility. Again, it's a superficial interpretation of what's happening on the pages of Scripture. So I'm not talking about men and women who were Christians and now suddenly aren't. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about men and women who pretended to be Christians and now their true colors are showing. Okay, This is what we're talking about on the pages of Scripture. Nobody loses their salvation. If you're born again, you will be born again forever. We've heard Jesus say it in John chapter 6, right? I'll not lose one that my Father has given to me. Now you either believe Him or you don't. There's a lot of theological arguments I can make here that I won't take time to make. Suffice to say, we're talking about false disciples. We're talking about pretend disciples, counterfeit disciples. That's what we're talking about here in John chapter 6. Now, if you've been around the church very long, the church at large, you know this is a reality. You have seen it. You have experienced it. The pastor I was uh, saved under left the faith. Okay? I've seen this firsthand. And if you've been around very long, you've seen it too. People who were jazzed, man, they were jazzed about Christ, right? And now they don't care anything about the things of God. They don't ever attend a church. They don't ever open their Bible. They never cry out in prayer. It was all a religious game. The modern church is awash in false disciples. It's just a reality. It's just the reality, beloved. People who, for whatever reason, social, cultural, business, whatever reason, they joined a church. But they've never really ever repented of their sin. 
They've never ever really given themselves away to Christ. They don't, they're not interested in the least about uh, passionately obeying Him and radically following Him, which is the call of the New Testament. It's okay to be a church member on Sunday, but I'm not going to take it into my life. Obviously, that is not a, a true Christian in any biblical sense. So tonight we're talking about the tares. Who knows what a tear is? Well, the way Jesus talks about it, the tares among the wheat. The tares are weeds. And so you know the parable, right? Matthew 13, how can you tell the weeds from the wheat? Anybody remember? By the fruit. The weeds have no fruit. So when maturation comes, there's no fruit there. Well, it's just like a, a false Christian. There's never any fruit. <laughs> Jesus says you'll know them by their what? Matthew 11. You'll know them by their fruits. A tree is known by its fruit. If there's no fruit, there's no conversion. There may be religion. There may be Christian so-called religion, but there is no born again, born of the Spirit, regenerate faith. It is the New Testament Gospel. So we see tonight, as we close John chapter 6, that false disciples are revealed by their actions. They're always revealed by their actions. They can pretend for a long time that the, the guy that was the pastor of my church, he, he was a good pretender, man. He went through seminary and he ministered for 15 years and he left. You can fool me, I can fool you. Nobody fools God. Alright? Nobody fools God. These, these men and women in, in John 6, we've been talking about it. Why did they follow Jesus? Tell me why. The bread. The physical bread. It's a complete rebuke to the prosperity gospel. Jesus was angry that these people followed Him merely for the blessing. This is a great insult to God. That you would prefer the blessing over the presence of God. And this is the, you know, the bottom line for the prosperity gospel. I want the blessing. I want the blessing. I want the blessing. Oh yeah, we love God too, but I want the blessing. This is an insult. It's a false gospel. And it is an insult to God they followed Him for His temporal utility, right? <laughs> How can I use this God and His power? How can I use Him to benefit my own temporal existence, right? This is what much of what is called Christianity has devolved into in the last few decades. You remember Matthew 13, the parable of the soils? You remember the man um, who heard the Word and he responded to it. You remember? The man with the rocky soiled heart. This man heard the Word and he received it with joy. He started well, right? But what happens? Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises, because of the Word, immediately he falls away. This man started well. Some of you have started well. My question to you is, will you finish when the heat comes? Because when the heat came, this guy bailed. 
when the affliction and persecution came, because I hold to the words of Jesus, the biblical Jesus, not the cartoon Jesus, I hold to the biblical Jesus, my question to you and the question the Lord put in front of me, will I finish? Or am I just in this thing as long as it's convenient and comfortable and I'm getting a few blessings out of it? This man bailed because of the Word. It's what we're seeing in John chapter 6. These men and women bail because of the Word. We saw it last week. They don't like His words. They don't like His words. It's why people always leave Jesus. <laughs> Who doesn't want a miracle? But it seems like the, much of the modern so-called church wants the user-friendly Jesus. You know, give me the Jesus that never talks about hell, never talks about judgment, never talks about wrath, never talks about sovereignty, never talks about hard things. I want Him. Well, you can have Him, but He is a phantom. He is counterfeit. He will do you no good. So, the church is awash with men and women who have begun with God, but who are not finishing with God. It's the Judas disciple. It's why Judas is mentioned in this chapter. You get to the end of the chapter, he's mentioned uh, two times. You say, well, why is Judas even mentioned here? Because ultimately he is a false disciple. He would not hear the truth. He would not receive the truth. He looked real. He was... Wheat, he pardon me. He was weeds among the wheat. So these first century Galileans, they loved Jesus' star power, man, and they loved that free bread and that free fish, and they loved those amazing healings. They loved it. But then he starts talking about the kingdom of God and how God saves His people and the sacrifice of Himself that's coming. Right? He starts talking about meaningful things, and these people just start peeling off. They won't hear it. They won't hear what God says. I'll not hear what God says. Which is so prevalent again, not only in the world, but in much of the professing church. You know, you hear this dumbed-down gospel these days. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Here, sign this card. Here, pray this magic prayer. Here, let me put you in the baptistry. You're in. You're good to go. Don't ever question. This is the, you know, the counterfeit uh, gospel presentation that is often given in many churches. The problem with it is, Jesus never said any of this. Okay? This is not the gospel according to... To Jesus, I was listening to Piper this week. He says, uh, John Piper, my favorite preacher in the States, uh, talking about the prosperity gospel, you know, he said, uh, he said, you know what's wrong with it? He said, you don't have to be converted to want it. <laughs> you have to be converted to love the biblical Jesus. But you don't have to be converted to want to be, you know, healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Every fallen human being wants that, right? Every fallen, sinful human being wants those things. I just wanted to share that with you. But you know this false presentation. You've got your eternal box checked. You don't have to worry about 
um, any eternal consequences, you're good to go because you know we called you, we 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 branded you a Christian. Listen, your assurance cannot be some experience you had when you were young. Your assurance cannot be some religious thing you did. Your assurance cannot be some prayer you prayed. Your assurance must be, oh, guess what? Jesus Christ alone. You know what you'll say when you stand before God. I stand here because of Jesus Christ. Not because I was a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or an Anglican or whatever. I'm standing here because Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me. And listen, if you, if you study John 6, or even a superficial read of John 6, we realize who's getting all the glory here. Jesus gets all of the glory. So the false disciple is always revealed. He will always bail. He will always withdraw from Christ. He will withdraw from the, the church of Jesus Christ. And he will withdraw from the people of Christ. This always happens with the false disciple. It's what's happening in John 6. So in the last couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus say three times that He is the bread of life. The spiritual bread, right? That's what, all, that's what the feeding of the 5,000 was all about, that they would, would, would understand and they could use it as a metaphor to understand it, that He gives them spiritual bread, right? The bread which I shall give for the life of the world is My flesh. And you heard the text read, verse 53. The NAS says, truly, truly. This is the fourth time in John chapter 6 that God incarnate has said this. What does it mean? It means this is indispensable truth. You need to get this. You need to hear this. The fourth time in this chapter. Listen, John chapter 6 is a big deal. I know some of you have struggled with John chapter 6. You've asked me good questions about it, and I appreciate the good questions. But John chapter 6 is a weighty, it's a weighty chapter. It looks like the world is abandoning Christ. He went from 5,000 to 11. How is this possible? Is Jesus a failure? Is he a failure? Does his word fail? Does his mission fail? Does the sovereignty of God fail? No! It's why he keeps saying, My Father gives, my Father draws, my Father grants. Lest it be granted unto you from my Father, you cannot come to me. And then he starts talking about Judas, right? Beloved, if you haven't worshipped in John chapter 6, I just challenge you. Get in it and worship. Learn about your salvation. Jesus says, truly, truly. And so I think most of us understand what He's saying here. These are hard words um, about eating His flesh and, and uh, drinking His blood. But every Jew who heard Him knew He wasn't talking about cannibalism. It wasn't even proper for a Jew to eat the blood in, in the meat of, uh, of a bull or a goat. They knew he wasn't talking about that. What's he talking about? He's talking about appropriating the sacrifice that's coming. He is the Lamb of God. 
appropriate His flesh that will be broken and His blood that will be spilt for the salvation of His people. This is clearly what He's talking about. You know, we can use the metaphor of, of a meal. If you, you know, you could look at the meal, you can talk about the meal, you could write a book about the meal, you can admire it, you can, you know, say nice things about it, but you've got to eat it for it to do you any good, right? You've got to eat it. And this is what Jesus is saying. You've got to come to me. You've got to appropriate what I've done. You've got to take it into yourself. I need to enter into your heart. We've always said it. It's always personal with the living God. It's always personal. And, you know, if your Christianity is just about dead religion, then you don't know anything about real Christianity. It's always personal. It's always intimate. It always is, beloved. And don't you settle for anything less. Don't you settle for anything less. You push through to God. You push through. So Jesus says, you have to be in union with Me. This is what's being said here. You heard the text read. I won't reread all the verses. You have to be in union with Me. I and you, you and Me. This is what Jesus is saying. He didn't come to be a life coach. Although you wouldn't know that from listening to a lot of sermons online. He didn't come to lecture. He didn't come to show off His power. He came to save a people for the glory of His Father's name. You guys, I'll just give you a couple of verses. He, the Father, made Him the Son who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. This is the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, for by His wounds you are healed. 1 Peter 1.18-19 You are redeemed with the blood uh, of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We saw this, was it last week? No, I think it was the week before. John 6.35 he, he who comes to Me shall not hunger, and he who believes shall never thirst. This is what Jesus is talking about. Spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst. He says, I take care of that for My people. Okay? I take care of that. St. Augustine said, to believe is to eat. So I'll just stop and ask you, have you believed? Now, are you merely a religious Christian? Or are you one of those born-again ones, right? Who love Him. Who believe Him. Who trust Him. Who, build, who, who is building their life around Him. My job's about Him. My marriage is about Him. My relationships are about Him. What I do on the internet is about Him. Right? What I do at the university is about Him. Ultimately, all of life, we talked about it several weeks ago, is worship. Jesus says, who eats My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me. And Paul kind of shows us what that looks like in, in Galatians 2.20. Paul says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered, me him, and delivered Himself up 
for me. This is what Jesus is saying. The crowd knew full well He wasn't talking about cannibalism. And it made me think of John 5.40 that we talked about, I think, before the holiday, before uh, summer break. You remember what Jesus said, right? Jesus was, was, you know, putting the Word of God out there and the Jews were just rejecting, right? They're just rejecting. They're just rejecting. And Jesus said, you are unwilling to come to Me that you might have life. You know, some people hate the sovereignty of God that's exhibited in John 6. But here's what I want to say to you. If you want to reject the Bible because you don't like this Jesus, you don't like this biblical Jesus, He, he talks, it makes me uncomfortable the way He talks. Well, you know, you can stand before Him in your own quote-unquote self-righteousness and God will simply look at you and say, you were unwilling to believe. You were unwilling to believe. Depart from Me, you who practice lawlessness. Every man that stands before God outside of Christ is a man or a woman who was unwilling to believe. That's the bottom line. Unwilling to believe. You guys know that great text, 1 Corinthians 1. Paul says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power and the wisdom of God. And as we finish this chapter tonight, we see a comparison between the false disciple, the one who is perishing, and the true disciple, the one who is being saved. Verse 59, Jesus was teaching these things in the synagogue at Capernaum. Many, therefore, of His disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Now, you know, we're not just talking about the twelve disciples here. There are thousands of disciples here. Hundreds at least, and possibly thousands. And they say this is a hard statement or a difficult statement. You know, I get this a lot. Of course I do as a pastor, right? People say, Jim, what you preached on Sunday, it was hard. It was difficult. It's beyond me. I don't understand it fully. And anytime I hear that, I want to say, well, maybe you're hearing from God, right? <laughs> maybe it's not me. Because if you're hearing from God, you will tremble at times. And it will be hard. And it will be difficult. And it will be difficult to you know, process all the way through your two and a half pounds of gray matter. This is infinite mind communicating with us, beloved. Of course it's mysterious. Of course it is. But these men, what, what these men and women are saying is, this is unacceptable. This is offensive. I think you heard it in the, the uh, translation that Shubomi read. This is offensive. It's repulsive. It's repugnant. I can't tell you how many times I hear this. I remember the first time I preached at my home church, came back to seminary and preached at my home church. I, I just preached Ephesians 1. I, I didn't quote any man. I knew where this church was. So I, I just preached Ephesians 1. <laughs> my friend was there and I said, hey man, was it about 30 people that walked out? He goes, no man. He said it was 30 groups of people walked out. Some people simply will not hear the Word of God. They will not hear it. And they have condemned themselves. They have condemned themselves. 
I'm not saying everything I say in this pulpit, it certainly is not infallible. But I fight to have integrity with the Bible, with the text. And I challenge you, if I'm saying something that you don't see in the text, I challenge you to come and challenge me about it. It's what we try to do here at ICM. So, Jesus is God. It doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if it makes you feel good. There's no negotiation. There's no middle ground. There are no half measures. He doesn't apologize for His Word. He tells you what God says. And He leaves it with you. What will you do with the Word of God? What will you do it? We see what happens in John 6. They leave. And so I'm going to ask you, will you leave? Or do you know Him so well and trust Him so much and love Him so devoutly that you will never leave no matter what He says. This is what true Christians do, right? They hang in even when it's hard. I don't understand. And it makes me uncomfortable. You know, we hang in. And we ask God to help us understand. So, you know, I heard one preacher say why uh, the world loves Christmas. I think you've heard me say this before. Why does the world love Christmas? Well, you've got, you got God in a manger and He ain't going to say nothing. Right? He ain't going to say nothing in the manger. That's why they love Him. He's in the manger. He can't, he can't encroach upon their life and their sin and their love of self and, you know, all of that. He's in the manger. He's at a safe distance. He can't even say anything to me. But Jesus doesn't stay in the manger. Jesus comes and shares the Word of God. So, you know, anytime you feel the... Uh, when you feel it welling up in you that I don't like what I just heard from the Bible and I will not accept it, there are two things. One of two things is happening. One is Jesus is teaching an error or your heart is hard. And I'll just ask you, which one do you think it is? Do you think Jesus is in error? Or do you think it could be your hard heart and your high opinion of your own intellect? I know better than God, obviously. He can't mean what He's saying. Obviously, He doesn't mean that. Obviously, He must mean something else. Listen, God says what He means and He means what He says. That's just the truth. Jesus says, does this offend you? This Greek word that's translated offend, there's this imagery of, of, of a stick that's used. You know how, how they used to build traps for animals and they'd put a stick on, on the trap and the animal would come in and, and, and uh, knock the stick ajar and the trap would fall on them. He's talking about a trap. It's like Jesus is saying, do my words trap you? Do my words trap you? And I'll just ask some of you, do His words trap you tonight? Does John chapter 6 trap you? Are you uncomfortable with the high sovereignty of God and the salvation of His people? Are you uncomfortable with that? Listen, man, I hear preachers railing against it. I hear preachers railing against predestination and election and being called and being chosen. I hear preachers railing against it. God have mercy on them! Have you ever looked at a Greek text? The Greek is the Greek. The words mean what the words mean. The question for you and me, beloved, will we submit to what God says? Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if it's mysterious. 
the men and women in John 6 would not. There's a big lesson for you and me here. There's a big lesson. I, I'm just going to ask each, each one of you in this room, will you commit to God right now that no matter what He says in His Word, I'll submit to it? And if I don't fully understand it, I'll just go to work on it. Right? I'll just go to work on it. I'll just go to work. So, Jesus never gives an inch on His words. He came to set the captives free. And His words are your freedom. You guys know John 8. One of the most famous passages in John. John 8, 31-32. If you abide in My Word, you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Make you free. You know, you don't have to be captive to sin and doubt and fear and anxiety and uncertainty anymore. If you will receive the words of Christ, you are free. And you have license to walk this planet like a son of God or daughter of God. <laughs> you are Batman. You are a spiritual Batman. It's an awesome thing, beloved. Verses 62 and 63. He says, What then if you should see the Son of Man ascending where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life and the flesh profits nothing. Do you hear it? Your flesh profits nothing. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to get saved. There's nothing you can do. The flesh does not profit. It's of God. And yes, of course... When God begins to give you to Christ and when God draws you to Christ and when God grants that you may come to Christ, then you exercise your will. That's in the Bible too. These two things are in the Bible. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. You must exercise your will. You must repent and believe. You must come to Christ. You must, beloved. But the flesh profits nothing the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. You remember, because they had, they had taken issue with the fact that Jesus said He had come down from heaven. And verse 42, they begin to grumble about this before, pardon me, verse 41 and 42, they begin to grumble because they said, we know your mom and dad. What do you mean you came down from heaven? We know your mom and dad. The flesh profits nothing. You know these great texts. Romans 8, 7. The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. The flesh is worthless apart from the work of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Beloved, Christianity is always one thing. It's a supernatural, sovereign miracle. And if you don't know that, I invite you into the truth, right? I invite you into the truth to, to come to some deeper understanding of just how awesome your salvation is. Right? Because, beloved, it is awesome. You do not deserve to be here right now. As I've often said to you, you and I both should have been in hell yesterday or the day before. But God is gracious God. Right? 
and God is saving a people. I always like to remind you, He never saved an angel. He didn't, he didn't offer salvation to the angels. He's offering it to us. It's an amazing, amazing thing. 64, verse 64 and 65. He said, there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And He said that it was uh, that would, and who it was that would betray Him. And He was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted Him from the Father. Some people hate this verse. They hate it. I receive it. And I believe it's true and I love it. Beloved, really tonight I invite you to love the Word of God. Even when it's hard. Even when you don't understand it. I invite you to love the Word of God. Unconditionally. Right? Unconditionally. You guys remember John 10.26? Jesus tells His hearers, you do not believe because you, you are not My sheep. He doesn't say you are not My sheep because you don't believe. He says you do not believe because you are not My sheep. People hate it when Jesus talks like this. Why does He talk like this? Because it's about the glory of God. That's why He talks about this. And for a billion eternities, all the redeemed will praise Him. Because we know we should be in hell, but we will never go there. Because we were saved by a sovereign love and a sovereign grace. The Bible clearly reveals a divine side of salvation and a human side of salvation. We've been saying this. Sovereignty and responsibility. Both of these things are true. And what we do at ICM... We say yes to every verse, right? Whether it makes us uncomfortable or not, we say yes to every verse. Yes, God! We believe it! I'm a little uncomfortable right now. I need to pray probably for a couple of years about this, but I'm going to believe that Your Spirit's going to teach me what this means. And I believe I'm going to love it. We say yes. So when you come here, you're not going to get, you know, a poem, a funny story, and, you know, a nice little homiletic. We're going to look at what God says. and We're going to preach it. Whether men like it or not. And look at verse 66. What happens? What happens? <laughs> what happens when He hits them with, you can't come anyway unless it's granted unto you to come. What happens? Tell me what happens. Somebody tell me from verse 66. They withdraw. It's one of the hazards of preaching the Gospel. People are always withdrawing. <laughs> you hate it, but a real preacher's call is to preach the text. A real preacher has to love God and love the people enough to simply preach the text. They withdraw. 
Jesus' words are too deep and lofty and mysterious. They eclipse their human understanding. They're like the guy in the parable of the soils. They're out of here. I can't hear that. It's a difficult statement. It's difficult to listen to. I won't hear it. Beloved, I simply challenge you not to be guilty of that. Not to be guilty of that. Say, Jim, I struggle in this area. That's, That's okay. Deal with it. Pray about it. Study. Work. Ask God to teach you. But the false disciple always declares himself. He always leaves the biblical Christ. He always leaves the Word of God. He always does this. It's always been this way. Sovereignty causes people to walk off. The high sovereignty of God and the salvation of people, it just causes people to walk off. I've seen it all my life. I pray that none of us would entertain such an awful thought. Let me finish here. Verses 70 and 71. I'm going to skip down. Jesus said to them, Did I not Myself choose choose you the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now He meant Judas. For Judas was one of the twelve who was going to betray Him. And I just want to reemphasize this. Everybody knew Judas was real. They all knew Judas was real. He was a disciple. He's one of the twelve. He preached the Gospel. He even participated in some of the miracles. Of course Judas is real. No, he's not. He's the false branch, John chapter 15. He's the branch that will be taken out and cast into the fire. He's the false disciple. He never loved Jesus. It was always about Judas' agenda. Right? We know he loved the money bag. But he wanted Jesus to be a conquering hero and he wanted to be in the court of the conquering hero. Judas had his own agenda with God. But why is this in here? Why is this in John chapter 6? God is sovereign over salvation and God is sovereign over the devil. Right? And God let Judas have what Judas wanted. Judas wanted his sin. He wanted his rebellion. He wanted, you know, his own agenda. God let him have it. And God used him to bring his son to the cross. The greatest evil that has ever happened in the cosmos. Right? God brings the greatest good through. God uses whomever He pleases, and even Satan, when it serves His purpose. This is how great our God is. And we'll close with this beautiful picture of of Peter, right? We'll jump back up to 67, verse 67. Jesus says, you don't want to go away also. What does Peter say? Someone tell me from the text. What does Peter say? This is what real Christians say. It's hard. It's difficult. Everybody's leaving, right? This is controversial. You know, there's all kind of difficulties now following you. I mean, the people aren't flocking to you like they used to. It's not a popularity contest anymore. This is difficult. But what does Peter say? Someone tell me. What does he say? 
To whom would we go? You have the words of life. Listen, you reject the words of God, you're rejecting life. If you want to pick and choose with the Bible, if you just want to like the parts you like, and you want to reject the, part, uh, the rest of it, then, you know, God have mercy. God have mercy on your soul. You know, the way Peter says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? It implies that he's maybe thought about this. You know, maybe he's thought about it. But no one talks like Jesus, right? No one talks like Him. Yeah, He does a lot of awesome stuff, but nobody talks like Him. When He talks, my heart beats like it's never beaten before. Right? I think it's one of the things that, that Peter is saying. I heard Piper say this week, you know, it's not that coming to Christ answers every question, but it answers the most important question. What was I made for? Who was I made for? Those of you who know Jesus, you understand the answer to that question. <laughs> You're made for Him. You were made for Him. and So it's about the Word of God. Jesus says, My words are spirit and truth. Moses said, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Peter said to Jesus, You have the words of life. Paul said, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So how does a disciple finish? I'm telling you how a disciple finishes. A disciple finishes because he's in the Word of God. That's how he finishes. And he hears God. And he works on the Word, right? And he, he goes to a, a church that actually preaches the text, right? This is how a man or woman finishes. We stay in the Word. We love the Word. We eat the Word. We appropriate the Word. We do the Word, right? We live the Word. We die the Word. This is what Christians do, beloved. It's not just, oh, I show up on Sunday and it's a nice little community. I know one thing we do have, and that's community. People tell me all the time, your people are great. Your people love. Your people give. Your people encourage. Your people come alongside and help. I hear this a lot. We do have community. Praise God for community. But it's about, it's about what Jesus has done. It's about magnifying Christ. And the community simply flows out of that True disciples finish because they're eating the Word of God. Let me close by giving glory where glory is due. I have already said this, but let me reiterate it. Why? If you are a Christian tonight, why are you a Christian and why will you finish? I hope you will never forget if you're a Christian tonight, it's God's doing. And if you finish, it will be God's doing. And let me say, if you, if you are a Christian, you will finish. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. If you are a Christian, you will finish because He is a sovereign, omnipotent, trustworthy God. Beloved, don't let your Christianity be about what simply what you do and don't do. I think we're all guilty of that at times. Let it be about proclaiming the sovereign love, grace, mercy, and work of Jesus Christ. That's my assurance. My assurance is who He is and what He's done. So, yeah, if you're a lover of Jesus, God did it. 
If you're a lover of Jesus, God is doing it. If you're a lover of Jesus, He will do it forever. And I'm just going to close with Romans 8, 29 and 30. You guys know this great text. It's a done deal. This is how God talks. It's a done deal. Listen. Listen. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. This is the Word of God. Rejoice and give thanks. You have been saved by a sovereign God. And you can never lose it. The rest of Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate His people from the love of God. He has sovereignly saved them and He will sovereignly hold them. And don't you let, you know... Don't you let the Gospel become about just what you do and what you've done. You know, I hear a lot of testimonies and I always challenge people, listen, there's too much you in your testimony. There's too much you in it. Let's get God in there. Because you wouldn't be a Christian if God wasn't at work in your life. Unless God was giving and God was drawing and God was granting. You wouldn't be a Christian. You'd have no interest in the things of God. You'd be in the world. Loving the world and storing up wrath for yourself. So beloved... Give God the glory. Give God the glory. Give God all the glory. Let's pray together. <sighs> Father, some of us here are guilty. There are parts of Your Word that we have found difficult, hard to hear. In the past, some of us have possibly even attended churches that, you know, make it dumb and easy. But Lord, we love You. We love Your Word. We love what You say even when it's hard. We will not withdraw. We will hold to You. To whom would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words of life. Your words are spirit and they are life. The flesh profits nothing. But oh, great God, Your work profits all things. Your work in my life the work You've started, You will complete. You will bring to fruition. We praise You, Father. I pray that if there's anyone here who bristles at Your Word, that they would humble themselves and submit to it and rejoice in all that we learn about You from this beautiful gift, this amazing gift, the Word of God. We love You, Father. We praise You. We give all glory and honor to the name above all names, the name before which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The name of Jesus. 
It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Can we sing?